Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to, we're going to be looking at um, verses 11 and 12 today. Um, and if you're, if you haven't been here for a while, or you're joining us uh, today, uh, we're in a series on prayer, and so we're just looking at um, the Lord's Prayer, and we've focused now on, on the God part of the prayer, you know, Lord, your will, your kingdom, your name be hallowed. And now we're going to turn to what do, we, what do we ask God for? What do we really need? And part of the reason for this series is that we, we want to bring prayer into equality um, and up to an equal place of the preaching of the word of God. Uh, there's a sense where in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll just keep reiterating this idea, we, we say that we're prayer-focused, we want to be prayer-focused as a church. In Matthew chapter 6, we saw that the, the apostles gave their attention to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. And so as a church, therefore, as the church, that should be our focus as well, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. Um, the early church moder- modeled it, and we want to keep moving in that direction and I'm excited for the things that God's doing as we pray together as a church. Um, again, just to reiterate some of the things I said last week, God, God is moving in our midst. God is awakening and reviving hearts. And, and that awakening and that revival, it begins with confession and repentance. And we're seeing those things take place. We're seeing God do things in people's lives. And I'm so encouraged uh, God is preparing this church, um, I think God's preparing this church and preparing us to be a people that will go out. Um, no longer is the church a place where, you can, it's the whole idea of an attractional idea of a church model, where people just come here, you know what, we're living in a post-Christian culture. Uh, we're living in a post-Christian world where that's just not the way things work anymore. The church has to become prayer-focused, awaken our hearts, and to go out and be incarnational, to be in our community reaching people for the gospel. And so my question to you again is, who's your one? Who do you pray for? Who's the one person that you are praying for this year? Someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Prayer is powerful. Pray for those people. God will move. God moves. I've seen it happen over and over again as we pray. I want to encourage you, keep praying. How do we pray? Last week, we, we began, it, we've got to get a right perspective first, right, on who is God, right? Who is this God that we're praying to? 
Um, is he someone who's up there and he's distant and he's not close to us? Is he God Almighty, the creator of the universe, powerful sustainer of all life? Well, yes, he is, right? But God is also near. God is your father. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to satisfy you with good thing like any good father would want to do for his children. You are sons and daughters of God. And so we begin, Jesus teaches his disciples to begin by saying, Our Father. It's important. It's very important that we, we get this idea of God being our Father because it changes the way that we look at him. And so the first three things that we looked at last week were just this priority of God in prayer. Prayer is focused on the glory of God. Lord, we want your name to be kept holy. We want your kingdom to come. We want your kingdom to reign and rule in our hearts. And may your will uh, become my priority. And as we begin to pray those things, as we begin our prayer with that in mind, I think it, the significance of, of how we pray is important. Because once we get our hearts in line with who God is and what he's doing, um, I think then we begin our prayers and the things that we ask God for begin to change. And God's now, Jesus is now moving and he's saying, all right, I've given you the three your statements, and he follows them now with three us statements. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our, our sins. And lead us not into temptation. These are the things that we should be asking God for. Um, so why is it important that we begin with God? Um, Again, it changes the way that we approach God. It changes the us part of our prayers. When our goals for this life are not in line with God's goals, we're going to see our needs differently. Our, fair, our, our prayers are going to be self-focused, if you will. Um, if our praying is focused on God, asking to help us achieve success in business or in the ball field or to get good grades, then guess what? The focus of our praying is really us. And it's centered around our needs, and it's centered around our own desires. You ever pray like that? Man, I find myself praying like that all the time. I'm not sure that that's necessarily what God's teaching us here, uh, how he's teaching his disciples to pray. The purpose of Jesus' teaching here on prayer is to bring glory to God and to advance his kingdom, his purposes, his will for our lives. And when we are focused on that, when that's our agenda, when his agenda becomes our agenda, it's going to change the way that we pray. Um, and so um, we're going to look at three needs, the final three requests here. Um, these aren't things, these, these three requests here are not simply all you need to live any life. They represent all the things that you need to leave the life that God desires for you to have. And so what do we ask God for? And he begins here and he says, give us today our daily bread. You know what? God wants you to ask him to meet your physical needs, right? And we do that. I think we do those things. Do you guys ask God? That's maybe a prayer that's common for us, right? God, I need this. Give this to me. I need this. Give us today our daily bread. Um, I think it's difficult 
um, for us to identify maybe with this first request? Um, how many of you live in abundance? Better raise your hands. Right? How many of you have bread for more than today in your home? And maybe you have to go shopping, but the store has all the bread that you could possibly need, right? I have enough food in my house right now to last for weeks. I might even be able to go a month, right? I probably get groceries maybe three or four times a month. And so when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, I've got all I need, God. I don't, I've got bread for two weeks. Things like homogenization, preservatives, all of those things. The, the idea of mechanization, uh, we can produce way more than we could ever possibly need. Iowa produces way more than it could ever need. And yet Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Now, if we put that into the context of the first century, um, food is a daily necessity, right? Many first century workers were paid one day at a time. You get paid and you go get bread for the next day. So you can imagine what would happen if they were sick and they missed a few days of work. This prayer would become, God, I need bread for today and tomorrow. And, you got, and, you, and all of you know, just without saying, we live in America, right, where it's abundant. There are places in the world where this prayer means exactly what it says there. Give us today our daily bread. There are people who are looking for their next meal. We can't even fathom what that's like. God's a good provider, and God provides. But the first century, they were dependent upon daily bread. Think about it this way. Remember the Old Testament story. Remember Moses? He's in the desert. Remember the manna? You guys remember the manna that fell down from heaven? And so God leads his people out of Egypt, and God provides for them. And he provides manna for them from heaven. Food is falling from heaven on God's people. God just had one, one, one thing, right? He said, hey, I want you to take just enough manna for today. And, and when they tried to take manna for tomorrow, what happened? What? Maggots. Destroyed. Why would God do that? Right? Why, would, why wouldn't we want to just go grab more and more and have, well, man, we don't, why would you do that? Because, yeah, that's why, but why wouldn't we do it? Because we don't, because we don't trust God. God, is there going to be enough for tomorrow? This prayer, we ask God to provide our physical needs. God is a good provider. God wants to satisfy you with good things. Your, father, your heavenly Father loves you, and he wants to take care of you. I think that definitely Jesus here, when he says, give us today our daily bread, he's talking about more than bread, right? Turn over just a little bit farther in Matthew chapter 6 to verse 31. He says this, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? And then he adds this, or what shall we wear, right? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, right? And here's where we go back to the first three petitions in this prayer. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
focus on God's kingdom. Focus on God's glory. He says in 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so God, Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he's talking about more than bread. He's talking about God providing for their physical needs. And so if he were just talking about bread alone, um, boy, some of you guys that are gluten-free, you guys wouldn't need anything, right? Well, God, I don't, I'm gluten-free. I don't need bread. Sorry, that was supposed to be funny, but it, didn't, it wasn't very funny. Man, I thought that was genius. Oh, never mind. Keep moving. Yeah, let's just keep going. Yeah, lost it. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think Jesus is teaching us in this prayer, hey, we can trust our Heavenly Father to meet our physical needs. We should go to God to ask for our physical needs. It uh, doesn't mean we shouldn't work. The Bible talks about that. So don't think, oh, I'm just going to wait for God to provide for me. I'm not going to go to work. God says work. He says provide. I think the prayer also is, is for our needs. Um, and not necessarily for our greeds. He's saying daily bread. Why does, why does God do that? Why does God promise to meet the physical needs of his disciples? Because God wants us not to worry about those things. He wants us to be focused on his kingdom. He wants to be, for us to be focused on his agenda. He wants us to be focused on bringing glory and honor to him. Um, in Proverbs 30, Verses 7 and 8, it says, Two things I ask of the Lord. Do not use me, refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of, of my God. I think... This could be true of us. We could forget God, and we could forget that God's the one that supplies everything that you have. Everything that you have, it comes from God. All of it. And so how, how do we pray then? Do we pray, God, give us today our daily bread? How should we pray if we have everything that we need? If my refrigerator's full for, for a month, Right? I think for us, here in America, here in this church, we should pray with grateful hearts to God. Father, we should say things like this. Father, I say this all the time. Father, I know that everything I have comes from you. Thank you for your provision. I've heard people pray this at mealtime. They said, God, Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies that it might be used for your service. Have you ever heard that prayer before? It's a good prayer. That's a good, honest, godly prayer. God provides this physical, needs for this physical body 
so that I can serve him better. And so each day, the Lord's Prayer, each day should drive us to a deeper dependence on, a greater contentment with God's perfect provision. And remember, when you pray, it doesn't say give me today, right? My daily bread. It says give us today our daily bread. Think about that for a second. So when, when we pray, we're also praying for God's perfect provision um, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? For those of us that live in abundance, we might be the answer to someone else's prayer, give me today. Give us today our daily bread. So we should ask God. Um, but asking God simply to provide for our physical needs, it's not enough. Jesus goes on here. It falls short. It can make our prayers so focused. And so in the Greek here, these three petitions are linked together by and, right? Emphasizing the need for all three of these requests. God, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, and, so, and so we ask God to forgive us daily. And I put the word daily on there because we should never forget the forgiveness of God. And so he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, something to be cleared up real quickly here. Jesus isn't talking about money, right? Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, forgive us our debts. Wow, that'd be nice. You know, I'm just going to forgive me all of my debt. I mean, I'm, that really worked when I cut up my credit card and financial peace, and now I'm just debt-free like that? No. That would be pretty cool, but uh, that's not how it works. Um, he's talking about those who sin against us. Over in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says a little bit different. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And so when we go to the Lord in prayer, God wants us to ask him to meet our physical needs. God also wants us to ask him to forgive us. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I did that right? I did that a long time ago. When I first came to Jesus Christ, I said the sinner's prayer, right? I said, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to God. Wasn't that enough? Yes and no. <laughs> yes, it was. God heard your prayer. God forgave your sins. Past present, future. We hold on to those things. But I believe that what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is, they know what, I don't want you to forget about the forgiveness that I offer you, the debt that I've forgiven you of. Because when we forget the debt that God's forgiven us, we may forget to forgive others. We may decide not to forgive others. And so, it's important that we pray and we say, God, forgive us our sins. And I think it's possible for us to develop this attitude that, that God has forgiven my sin past, present, and future. Therefore, I don't need to necessarily say it to him again. And possibly we lose sight of the significance of God's grace in our lives. And so Jesus makes it a daily thing. 
I think it's a reminder for us to forgive others. So what is forgiveness? What's forgiveness? Man, forgiveness is something beautiful. It's something that it's probably one of the most precious gifts that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. To have the forgiveness of God, to also have to be able to forgive others. It's the most precious gift, an act of grace that you have as a believer. One of my favorite books on forgiveness is True Faced. And he says this. He says, forgiveness breaks down walls. It frees hearts. It mends countries. It restores families. It draws out the best in us. It can turn hatred into tenderness and the desire to destroy into a passion to protect. It's more powerful than any weapon, government, or wealth. Nothing else can bring such profound healing. Listen to this. Forgiveness forms the foundation of our relationship with God and sustains our relationship with each other. When we unleash this gift by receiving it in humble trust that God can actually free our heart and heal our relationships, then the miraculous can happen. The powerful gift has one purpose, to protect us from the insidious harm that comes from sin done against us. And so Jesus says here, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I really struggled with that this week. Look at verse 14. Read a little further. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus that you just want to skip over, right? I do. I just like, God, I don't think I can even understand this. Um, So the struggle here is what? What's the struggle? The struggle is works. So is, is our forgiveness from God conditional on our forgiveness of other people in our lives? No. <laughs> no. But if for when you read that, you go, sure seems like it. No, it's not. Notice that um, Jesus continues to use the word there, Father. Right? Your heavenly Father. Right? I think what Jesus is saying here, it's a reminder that the the forgiveness being talked about here is not the forgiveness a judge offers to a guilty felon. It's the forgiveness a father grants his beloved child. Think about this. God loves you too much to let you remain in the prison of unforgiveness. I'm going to say that again. God loves you too much to let you remain in the prison of unforgiveness. And so there's a sense where he he withholds the experience of his peace in our lives, right? Until we realize that everything's not okay between our brothers. And we go and we ask our brothers, 
we seek the forgiveness of others in our lives. Just as He has forgiven us in Christ. Unforgiveness can be a deep, dark prison. John Stott says it this way. He says, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. So what's he saying there? And when we, when we go before the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that God forgives us, we need to realize the things that God has forgiven us. We need to realize the enormity of our sin, the debt that we owe to God. And God says, I forgive you when we confess our sins to him. I've taken your sins the scripture describes it, and I don't, I've removed them as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, right after it, it says that. And if God can do that for us, if God can forgive me in my sins that I've done before him, certainly I can forgive an offense and a sin that someone's done against me. And Jesus is assuming here that forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we go to God daily to ask Him for forgiveness. Now, it can be difficult, right, to forgive people when they sin against you. Tough? You ever been hurt by someone? It's extremely difficult sometimes to go to that person. And yet we know that in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13, it says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what does it say? Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And yet it can be difficult. I think the word debt here might be appropriate. So often when someone sins against us, right, we want to demand an apology, right? And we want to demand that apology before we we're going to forgive them. Is that true? Does that happen? We think, hey, sorry is the debt that they owe us. Hey, you hurt me. You owe me an apology. You owe me a sorry. And we parent our kids that way, don't we? We teach our kids this way of thinking. It starts at an early age. Mommy, so-and-so hurt me. We go find Johnny and we bring him. We say, all right, Johnny, you hurt him. You need to say you're sorry right now. If 
How sincere is that sorry? Honestly, how sincere is it? I know, Johnny, you need to really mean this. You got to mean that you're sorry. God doesn't work, God doesn't do that. God extends his forgiveness and his grace to us before we ever said sorry to him. Jesus doesn't say anything in this prayer about an apology here, does he? Instead, he puts the emphasis on forgiveness. He even assumes that we're going to forgive everyone who sins against us in this prayer. Now, why would Jesus put an emphasis on forgiveness? Why would he want us to go before God and say, God, forgive me as I forgive others? Because forgiveness is for you. God's forgiveness is for you. Forgiving others is for you first. Now, I want to do a little side note here, um, just a quick side note, because I think it's important to say this. this. I want to do a side note just on forgiving yourself, right? How many of you said, well, I just can't forgive myself. I just can't forgive myself for what I did. I want to release you from that. That phrase is from the devil himself, straight from the enemy. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to be held in bondage. He wants you to think that it's even possible for you to forgive yourself. We don't forgive ourselves. Jesus forgives us. person who says that will continue to be in the bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness, and it may not even be anything that anybody else did to you. The enemy in himself is holding you in unforgiveness. And what you're really saying when you say that I can't forgive myself, what you're really saying is that I'm not worth forgiving and that, and that Jesus can't really forgive me. You're struggling to receive God's forgiveness. And your heavenly Father is waiting. <laughs> He's saying, man, my grace is sufficient for you. I died on the cross to forgive all of your sins. There's no sin that I can't forgive. Come to me as a child. Come to me as a son and daughter. Forgiveness is for you. This quote came across Christendom again this week. I heard someone else say it. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? If we hold forgiveness in our hearts and we begin to drink that poison of unforgiveness, we're not affecting the other person. It's affecting you. It's really crazy that, that unforgiveness is like this log jam, right? We were talking about this in Message Community on Thursday. It's like a log jam in a person's life. And this log jam where we get stuck, where we just can't forgive someone else, we stick with this unforgiveness in our hearts, 
all of a sudden it creates chaos upstream in our lives. It doesn't just affect us anymore. It's beginning to strain you and your relationship with that other person, the person maybe that offended you, but then it impacts other people, and it begins to impact your relationship with God. Pretty soon this root of bitterness grows in your heart, and it spills out, and it will affect other people. Can you believe what so-and-so did to me? How could they do that? They call themselves a Christian. And it begins there, and it just begins to spread like a cancer. Happens all the time. Happens in the workplace. It happens in the church. And instead of the name of God being glorified and kept holy, instead of God's kingdom coming, Instead of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, it hurts God's kingdom. It affects the kingdom of God. It causes people to say that the church is full of hypocrisy. And so Jesus says, forgive us our debt. Go to God and ask for forgiveness and forgive your debtor. Go and forgive others. Remember, forgiveness breaks down walls. It frees hearts. It mends countries. It restores family. It draws out the best in us as believers. It can turn hatred into tenderness and the desire to destroy into a passion to protect. It's more powerful than any weapon, government, or wealth. Nothing else can bring such profound healing Forgiveness forms the foundation of our relationships with God, our relationship with God, and sustains our relationship with each other. When we unleash this gift by receiving it in humble trust that God can actually free our heart and heal our relationships, the miraculous can happen. And it has one purpose, forgiveness, to protect us from the insidious harm that comes from sin done against us. And so for forgiveness is for you. It begins with you. And forgiveness is for the other person. It's for the other person when they repent. In forgiveness, when you forgive someone else, you are demonstrating the love that Jesus has for the one who sinned against you. You're demonstrating that. The Bible says that, that God's kindness leads to repentance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Imagine yourself offering forgiveness to someone else. You're releasing them from the debt that they owed you. Whoa. Have you ever had a debt forgiven? How good does that feel? I've probably shared this story with you before, but... But we, um, when we were in college, we, we bought this car from our neighbors, some friends of ours. And um, we bought it, and we didn't have all the money to just pay cash, and so we were making payments on it. And on our way out to a wedding in California, um, Karen and I just changed drivers, and I, uh, I fell asleep at the wheel. And, and I woke up to the sound of birds chirping and the back of a semi, like right here. 
I learned why they put those bars on semi-trailers. It's to keep people from me from being beheaded. And uh, we're like, man, we still owed like two. We owed a bunch of money on that car still. Like, oh, man, now we're going to pay for a car that we don't have. The car's totaled. They cut the top off to get us out of it. We went back to our friends, and we told them what happened. They said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We don't need the money anyways. Man, that's freeing. It was freedom. You can imagine the gratitude that I had, we had in our hearts towards Brian and Tracy. They forgave us our debt. Imagine what happens when you forgive other people and we don't hold their sins against them. I saw the power of this on, on my bus, and I've shared this story before. Some of you haven't heard it, though. I saw the power of this on my bus. I was reading this book years ago, this concept of forgiveness first, repentance second. And so I thought, well, I'm going to just try this, right? And so had a had a situation on my bus where two kids were fighting. Um, and in fact, it was kind of weird because the guy that was the bully normally on the bus was being bullied. And so the bully cries foul. He says, he's hurting me. He's talking to me. He's doing this to me. And so I sat down, these two kids, and, you know, and, and man, everything in me wanted to say, hey, tell him you're sorry. You can't do that to him. Tell him you're sorry. Instead, you know what I did? I looked at the bully and I said, hey, the one that was being bullied at this situation, I said, hey, I want you to tell Johnny over here, I want you to tell him how you felt when that happened. Tell him exactly what you heard and how it hurt you. This kid, he had no problem doing that. I think part of why he's a bully probably is because he'd been hurt in his own life. And he just began to spill out the hurt and why this hurt him. Johnny over here just starts erupting in tears. There's tears just flowing down his face. He's going, wow, I didn't realize what I'd done to you when I said that. And there was genuine repentance. I didn't have to say, Johnny, you tell him sorry. I didn't even have to say anything. God did all of it. Because I said, hey, boy, I want you to forgive him. I want you to offer forgiveness. That's how it works. That's what happens with us and God. We realize that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And when we get awakened to that reality, oh my God, what happened? God, I can't believe that this is free. I can't believe that you would forgive this debt that I owe you. And we begin to tear up and we repent. Forgiveness is for you. <laughs> we should extend forgiveness to others. And it's for them too when they repent. We'll close with this illustration. Um, Leonardo da Vinci is one of the greatest intellects in history. Um, just before he started painting The Last Supper, he had an argument, right, with a fellow painter. I'm trying to decide if this is true or not, but we're just going to just go with the illustration here. I can't figure out. Try to get on Snopes and all of them. See, was this really true? Go with it. 
And so in his anger and bitterness, he determined to paint the face of his enemy as the face of Judas to take revenge, right? So he's painting his enemy, this artist, as the face of Judas in his painting. And so Judas is one of the first faces that he paints, and everyone recognized the face of the painter. But when it came time to paint the face of Christ, he's just struggling. He could not make progress. There's something wrong. There's something that was holding him back. Eventually, he realizes that the thing that's frustrating him is the face of his enemy that he'd painted on Judas. And so he decides to paint over Judas's face and then started again on the face of Christ. And, and we all know the end of the story, right? I mean, it's one of the most magnificent paintings. Chances are you might even have it in your house. I, maybe. Um, but there's a truth here that lines up with what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in prayer. We cannot simultaneously paint the features of Jesus into our lives. We can't pray your name be kept holy, may your kingdom reign in my heart, may your will be done, and yet paint another face with the colors of enmity and hatred on our brothers and sisters. And so we come to the Lord in prayer. We say, God, provide for me, yes. And that's easy to ask for those things. But Jesus wants us then to say, God, forgive me. Just as I am going to forgive those who have sinned against me. And next week, we'll unpack this third one and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That'll be fun. So let's pray. Father, We're so thankful, God, for you reaching out to us first, Lord. Father, your word says that we love because you first loved us. God, you reached out to us. You offered us forgiveness before we ever came to you to say that we were sorry for our sins, Lord. God, we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to remind us of the grace that we've all received, Lord. God, let that fuel us, God, to love deeply. Let that fuel us, God, to um, release other people, God, when they sin against us in our lives. And so, Father, we come to you this morning. God, even as we Come to take communion this morning, God. Would you do your work in our hearts, Holy Spirit? Do your work in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.